HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Nyman Ranch. I'm Paul Willis, a fifth-generation farmer and co-founder of Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Learn more about us at nymanranch.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're diving straight no chaser into the delicious crossover of the food and jazz worlds. And I think that sense of nostalgia is what makes it hard to do New Orleans food well because people just have these memories of these dishes. Certainly people from New Orleans, like you're never going to make, you know, a gumbo as good as their mother or grandmother made, right? Comfort food, you got to get your hands dirty and the jazz is musicians. It's like it all goes together very well, you know? Check out Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from about 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And I'm always pretty confident that all of them are listening right now to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we have really the perfect show. The, the food, tech, virtual reality, AR, dining experience, James Beard Foundation. It's really, we're a perfect, spor- perfect storm of food and technology today. I'm, I'm really excited about this. We could do a whole season about this show. Joining me today to talk about Aero Banquets, RMX is at Remix. We have the artist who kind of conceptualized the idea. We have the chef, and then we have the executive producer type facilitator person. Is that good? I'll take it, sure. Okay. I think I'll, I'll, art, I'd like art impresario would really be what I'd like uh, to be called. Uh, we can add a, that. That's a big one. I'll, 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 I'll call him the godfather. <laughs> <laughs> So, the artist we have with us today, Mattia Casaleño. Mattia uh, Casaleño. 
Italian it's artist. Italian, yeah, yes. It's an Italian name, so it's very hard to pronounce. <laughs> Does it mean house of wood? Uh, it means house of wood, yeah. <laughs> it means basically, which is really funny uh, because we, um, as a family, we don't have anything to do with houses nor with wood, so, <laughs> uh, but that's what it means. But you, do you ever do any art with wood? Um, no, I only use uh, bites and beats. So virtual wood, <laughs> virtual not work. actual wood. No. Well, actually it's not true. I, I used to, I work also in sculptures and, uh, and I build things as well. But. So this, this is going to be a, com- a little bit of a complicated, complex story to tell, I think, very quickly in 45 minutes. And we'll have to figure out the best way to do this. Maybe chronologically is how we'll go. So... If I understand correctly from having spoken to everybody and watched the performance experience, it's fascinating. Mattia had the art project idea of doing something that was based on a futuristic cookbook that was published in 1932. Yes, that's, that's correct. That, that's where the uh, idea sort of, um, was born from. I read this book uh, maybe two, two years ago and I got very fascinated by the uh, approach that the Italian um, futurists had to food. They were really, they were really thinking about food in terms of um, uh, sensor, um, an experience that will um, encompass all the senses. And, then, and so uh, I wanted to recreate a, a little bit those um, fantastic um, experiences that they were um, organizing between 1932 and 1938. Uh, they were the thing. They were very much the first to think about food and taste in terms of colors and shapes, and and they were really the first to combine uh, music, theater, and food. Um, and so this is where the idea really, uh, really. Um, you know, this is what I was inspired by, and because my art really involves a lot of new new media, I thought that VR could have been the perfect uh, immersive medium to encompass all those different languages. It's a fascinating idea, I think, that the creative idea came from 1932, and we're in 2019 today on the precipice of another decade, and it's almost 100 years later that you're bringing these ideas to life. It's true, and and this actually, um, and this actually speaks about uh, the kind of um, really experimental and revolutionary ideas that the futurists had. Um, you know, like as you said in 1932, they were really super experimental. They really were. They it was really funny actually because uh, because they were against. It was really funny because they were against the pasta. So in Italy, they were against the pasta. pasta. Yes, they were against pasta yes. in Italy. An Italian movement against pasta. Yes. before it's and in... not because of gluten. <laughs> uh, because why of, were they against pasta? Because of sugar, actually, <laughs> because it was way too uh, heavy and and it will, and it was a, a a food that was not. You know, they were against pasta because because it's a uh, super. Uh, processed food that get, has, has too much sugar and, and, and they were saying that that will uh, make everybody sleeping and, and, and it was not one of those food that will um, encourage 
people to be active. So that sounds crazy. Super to me. crazy. Was so it, in Italy was, was it very like political and social to be against pasta more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, I, I think so. There was no science really behind it. No, was no, it no. A it small was like a, people. Was it all you know revolutionary, bohemian, forward thinking? Uh, well, I mean, also the um, other side of the you want to look at it is that they were also extreme fascist which is which is of course i'm not i'm of course i'm not a kind of um, political um i'm not interested in a political thing but they were really uh, looking at it in in a very odd way under like a nationalistic and very extremist right sort of way so pasta is not a food that uh, allow people to be active and to go to war and to be really so it's it's it has a very very dark um, undertone to it. Never heard of that before. That's fascinating. Could, could be the carbohydrates. Could be the carbohydrates because the <coughs> carbs built on a lot of fat in you. Yeah. That's why. So you don't burn much sugar when you have a lot of carbs. Yeah. But you need carbs if you're super active. Yeah, you need like, it. You, need you know, it. running a marathon or doing sports and heavy lifting. Carbs yeah. are carbs are good for you. Actually, your brain also needs them yeah, to yeah, think and do I, stuff. To imagine virtual places. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. That, that's a whole other show. Definitely. The, the Italian protest against pasta. pasta. <laughs> so 1932, combining a, a multi-sensory experience with your food, you have this idea, you're an artist, you then meet the chef. Yes, we met you the chef. Go ahead. Yes, um, it was really interesting actually because I first met Ronnie, which is our third uh, partner in crime here, uh, who is not here yet, uh, of course today, and I actually met him through a through a through a friend. So Ronnie yeah. is Chintan's partner, and yeah. Chintan is the chef of Rahi and Ado restaurants in New York, so, and Ronnie is his CEO. So CEO. Ronnie is the CEO of the company. My job is as a chef partner. So, yes. so it's perfect match. Business and cooking. Yeah. <laughs> and art. <laughs> so he introduces you to Chintan, and then now you can have a chef create food for your... For my piece, in a way. For, for my your piece, which is virtual and vision. augmented reality. Yeah, and I will really call it in a way um, mixed reality, in a way, mm -hmm. because it definitely, you know, it's VR, so you literally wear those masks and those headsets, but you um, interact with physical things you literally eat a food so it's so the most th this is the very distinctive point between these two things and mitchell davis who is from the james beard foundation who later on will experience a version of this and then bring it to the james beard house currently if i understand correctly most of the augmented reality and virtual reality dining experiences are you're wearing the headset, you're experiencing the audio and the visual and sort of the visual sensory that you have from virtual reality. But then you take that off and then you're eating something or you pass to the experience where you're eating and drinking. And you decided that you wanted to actually have people eating during the virtual experience yes because which is the new piece yeah exactly <laughs> and is the first time maybe um i haven't seen um, a lot of other artists working this way um for me what was interesting is that in vr uh the um, the the sound you know uh, the eyes are, are very much like uh, active and and over and over uh, 
simulated almost, but but taste is one of those uh, senses that is not very been explored in in VR yet. And for me, VR is a way to um, augment your um, experience, right? The experience of being in a natural place or the experience of of, of feeling your body uh, maybe smaller or bigger. Uh, so VR is a very immersive medium, and uh, taste, yeah, very much taste has not been explored yet. And so you've been around the world quite a bit eating, and you've had some virtual dining experiences. Did they ever combine actual eating during the experience? Uh, n- no. I've never, I've never had done anything that included a kind of manipulation of your senses through technology that then allowed you to ingest. Although I have been in immersive, manipulated environments to eat ultraviolet in um, Shanghai is one of them. And to me, when I first experienced this, the thing that was most reminiscent of the sensation you have inside your body, as Matias said, was El Bulli, really, where, mm. where you put things in your mouth. You didn't know what you were being served. You knew that it had been manipulated, been manipulated in many ways, and you weren't sure what it was going to be like when you put it in your mouth. And then it exploded in all sorts of flavors and textures you didn't expect. And although the food that Chintan produces for this experience is... is beautiful, delicious food. If you were looking at it and eating it in a restaurant, you, would, you wouldn't hesitate. You don't get to see it when, before you eat it. You're, the manipulation, the technology happens in your, in your brain because of this headset of what you're in the virtual world. So to me, then when it comes in your mouth, the textures, the flavors, that experience is all different and manipulated from an, the other place. So that was the most resonant experience I'd had like this. Although, obviously, I don't believe all the technology happened in the kitchen, and here it happens at the table in your, in your head, headset and head. Yeah. <laughs> Just to add on to it, that <clears throat> when I saw different things, people doing the VR with the food, what also was happening is that what he does with his technology is a very graphical world and everything. A lot of people who are doing it is when you wear the glasses, you actually see videos of people. So... It's a difference between creating a completely fantastical artistic world versus creating a digital replication yeah, of an like, actual world. Like when we do a real experiment, the first thing that you do is there's a training video, which is shot in a 360 degree video, uh, 360 degree video, and then when you wear it, you see that. So what I've noticed with most of the people doing the VR food, it's a 360 degree video of things around you, like maybe a scene like this. We're, the scene we're looking out at the dining room of Roberta's pizza. pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. And then you remove the glasses and you eat a pizza. You, you know, so it's not a graphical world. It's not a world which is, uh, it's like a fa- what he has created is a fantasy world. So now you met him and you didn't really understand the concept initially <laughs> when I, Ronnie told you about the VR food experience. You know, you're I, not, and you're not a VR video gaming kind of no, guy. No, no, I'm not. I, I, I genuinely bought a PS3 like eight years back and I would have only played for eight hours, not more than that in the last eight years. So <laughs> I'm not that guy. And I think not me, but nobody in words can explain this concept concept to someone. You'll only understand this concept if you experience it. So I failed um, explaining people like hundred, hundreds of people as to what this concept is. Because what happened is Ronnie saw this and he came and he told me this and we chatted for 30 minutes and I was confused. <laughs> and I kept on saying, okay, okay. And that at one point I just said, Ronnie, I just don't understand. I'll have to see this to understand. I genuinely don't understand. So that's how 
then me, Ronnie, and my chef, the cuisine Eric, we went to a studio, which is like a small room which is shared by four people. Mm-hmm. And I, we, we genuinely didn't know what to expect. <laughs> so you put the headsets on, you have the experience. Were you serving people food at that no, time I'm or not no? At that no, time so no. it was just the. So it was just the headset. It was a very rough version, I would say. It was a very rough version. Um, obviously, he was working on it, so it was not even fine tuned version of it. And he's like explaining, oh, you are like this, and then the food comes, and this happens, and the, like there was nothing, but just, but it was the gist of it which excited uh, me and Ronnie a lot, and that's when we said like, yeah, we have to do this. So your restaurants are Indian. Yes. And they are very personal, and you are trying to bring food from India, food from your home, the best versions of things. Yep you make many of your own like chutneys and spices and ingredients everything <laughs> you're totally not virtual and augmented <laughs> you're very hands-on low-tech artisan chef so how did you it's then collaborate together see, to do something in this fantastical I, world no I'll, I'll explain you so one of the things that as as partners between me and ronnie that we work towards is that how can we create a new experience with every new thing that we do? So if you look at our all our whatever restaurants we have and whatever things we do on the side, everything is actually different from what the other thing is. So that's our philosophy. So it is a written rule for us that we'll never replicate something that has been done before. And we are always looking for things that challenge us. So you decided to work together. And yeah. so you started to refine the media experience create food for people to eat during the experience and then you started to prototype the total experience with food and the AR VR in the private dining room of your restaurant yeah so that's uh, I think that's where uh, Mitchell came first time to experience it and uh, yeah so so he didn't have a space and we said okay we have to do this we don't know how to do it and then we came up with this idea that you know we have a private dining room we normally used on Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays are sometimes we have events, sometimes we don't have. We said, okay, we'll use that as a lab. So that entire room, if you go right now also, it's like dismantled like that room. Like even the team over there complains now that you need to fix it. <laughs> so, Mitchell, that's what you experienced for the first time. This yeah. sort of beta beta testing in the back room. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, it's a funny... Uh, to add to the sort of um, serendipitous chronology, when I was earlier this year, I was at a new museum summit on artificial intelligence and art. <coughs> Excuse me, and the museum and the role that a museum plays when art becomes digital or technical. And I was there because of some stuff that we were thinking about food, some projects we were working on, and and we have a relationship with New Inc., which is the incubator for the new museum. And it happened... Mattia wasn't there, I don't think. You were at that experience. No, but, I was not there. Yeah, but I... At one of the lunch breaks, the director of New Inc. said, oh, I just got this email. You should go to this thing tomorrow <laughs> at 6 o'clock. And... Uh, 
I, I could. I looked at my calendar. I was like, I'm free. That's so weird. Where is it? What is it? I had no idea what it was. I've actually had never done... Well, that's not true. I did a Bjork VR installation in Montreal at the Phi <laughs> Center once. Um, that's the only time I'd ever had a VR headset on. Um, but it sounded cool, and they said to go. And, and the next day, I went at 6 o'clock to Rahi, to the restaurant, which co- coincidentally also is 500 meters from the Beard House, not even. Uh, and I had been there and enjoyed a meal there. And uh, two strangers were sitting at the bar, drinking a cocktail, waiting for this thing to happen. I was the third at six o'clock. They showed us a little video about what was going to go on. And then we put the headsets on. And while the headsets were on and we were moving around, all this cool food thing happened and all these lovely tastes and stuff. And it was just really, it was a great, it was a very cool experience. Again, not anything I've ever done before, not anything I necessarily, um, like, say, you know, I'm now going to become a VR food um, yeah. sort of um, aficionado, empresario. But, I mean, the other coincident thing about this was at the Beard House, we happened to have a couple of empty rooms because earlier this year, we consolidated our offices to a new space. And so there literally was a room that I, we've been trying to figure out what to do with on the fourth floor if, for temporary reasons, because obviously one day there'll be some some other changes happening at the Beard House. But in the meantime, it's like, oh, this is a room. Um, we have some space. We're around the corner from the restaurant. We should install this at the Beard House. It, it's, it was a, 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 a confluence of so many things that I personally and professionally think about food from the sort of academic nature and the history of the Futurist Cookbook, which I studied in graduate school. I actually took a course practically on food and performance that was focused in a large part around that book. Um, But then this idea of how do you you make food not just an object in art, whether it's still lives or even a bunch of artists who... who, um, who work with food for all sorts of reasons, from meat dresses, whatever. Food is used in art as a medium, but this was actually central. The food was central. The food was part of the manipulation, the artistic manipulation, and you were eating. And I had never had an experience that that sort of played with the artistry of food because you can't really mess with people's food too much or you get sick or it's not appetizing. <laughs> so the food here wasn't really um, destroyed in any way, but the experience of eating, the sensory perceptions, the, what you, the, the manipulation of what you bring your preconceived ideas, tastes, prejudices about food are all messed with. And what you ate was delicious and fun and exciting. And it was just this amazing confluence of things with food at the center. And as an organization, I've been at the Beard Foundation 26 years. When we first started, we used to say our our mission was to make food, um, to put food on the level of the other cultural arts, um, like music or dance or visual arts. And this was something that I felt helped elevate the cultural value of food by using the experience of eating in uh, an artistic way that I'd never certainly experienced before. I just thought was super cool. And, and something that the Beard Foundation as a kind of cultural center for food and American food and increasingly sort of what's happening, what trends, cutting edge, I just thought was a really amazing fit. Um, took some convincing, I'll be honest. My next question, my next question was, how did you pitch the idea when you came back to your office? How did you pitch the idea? And, you know, uh, do you have eight months, now maybe. underwriters <laughs> and people yeah. and it's happening? And well, yeah, well, it wasn't run. easy. How did you describe I, it? It seemed very clear. I, I mean, to Chintan's point, it's hard to describe and no one knows what you're talking about. <laughs> and. And food people think, oh, that sounds so weird. Tech people think that's cool, but I'm going to eat something? Like, no one really gets it. If you even know what you're talking about, virtual or augmented reality, like, sort of 
they're, they're common, but not so common outside the world that is obsessed with them. Um, so I just explained, I mean, for us, mostly there was a real estate question. We needed to do something with this room where as an organization, um, um, we're, ter- we're in our third, fourth decade, actually. We always want to do something that brings new audiences to the Beard House that, that shows that we aren't just um, a sort of fuddy-duddy dining club, which we haven't been, but, you know, there's some, some, we're just constantly trying to do things that, that are, are Take you beyond celebrating point. the past and creating yeah. the future. And, and contribute to a larger conversation about food and what's important about food and why it's, why it's not just breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but it's political, it's artistic, it's cultural, it's, it's social, all the things that, that food can be. And this just seemed like a fit. And honestly, ha- the fact that we had this room and had nothing to do with it and that we could possibly not just do something with it, but do the coolest thing anyone could ever imagine with it, um, you know, so I I was persuasive, it t- and it took a lot of persuading. Uh, there's logistics. We the Beard House is a very busy place. There are hundred in a week, thousands of people come through the Beard House uh, in a busy week, um, and so we f- we figured it out. It took some time. We raised some money to mitigate the risks involved. We didn't really raise money to invest. It was just like if we're going to do this, we have to. From our standpoint as an organization, we really created a partnership, a three-way partnership between the restaurants, between the artist and the Beard Foundation, so that because we're all sort of jumping in to something that was unknown uh, for each of us um, and trying to generate some interest in it for something that's really hard to explain. You can't just read the (laughs) sentence or see the picture and know what you're going to do. Um, and I will just say that the first day we finally... So when did we meet? In March? I think it was March. Oh, we met in March. Yeah. I think it was April. April. April, April, April. So it was a long time. But, you know, six or seven months later, we finally had some paying people come to do it. And I happened to be there when it started. And, you know, like every restaurant opening or art opening, it was down to the last second. Um, And there were four people there waiting for the first first ticket of people. Only four people can do it at a time. Um, There were three people who knew each other and one who didn't. One looked like a more typical Beard member and she'd been to the Beard House before. And three looked like young Asian kids who wanted to do something cool and wacky. And they were all excited. They had no idea what they were getting into. And they all left totally smitten. Like, one of them came out and was like, I don't know what just happened, but it was really cool. You know, like, that's generally the reaction people get. Yeah, Yeah. and this is the reaction that is still happening. I mean, um... Yesterday also. Um, also, what is funny is to see how how the experience is interesting for many different people. Right? You know, again, as Mitchell was saying, we have uh, members of the house that, that, that actually come to try the experience. We have um, kids of like nine years old with, with families. We have uh, more like a, um, kind of like experimental and um, artsy sort of people coming, uh, but. The feedbacks have been really great so far, and for some reason, everybody finds something interesting and something appealing in the experience. It's, it's actually funny the first group that you talk about because I, right. whenever I am there, I have a tendency to ask, like, how did you hear about us? And three of them were actually from, uh, they were software engineers from Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, there the you first go. group. The, I still remember. Yeah, they I remember were those people. three. Yes, yeah, so and I remember the woman in the Chanel yeah, yeah, jacket yeah, yeah, clearly yeah, 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 was yeah, the yeah. beard member. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it's funny that way. Like, uh, and interesting people, like somebody two days back was from Austin. Oh. They heard about this in Austin and they came down. Uh, a guy who develops games, VR games. Oh. His wife gifted him this. Uh, they were last weekend, they were here, husband, wife. The wife gifted this for the birthday. Funny. So they flew down from Seattle just to experience this for the that's birthday. That's amazing. Yeah, that, it was That's insane. when you know you've really got something when people, when you've become a destination and people travel. To experience. try it, yeah. 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 I mean, there really isn't anything like it. 
that 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 any we've talked to people at South by Southwest. We're trying to find a way to bring it there. They've they've been trying to find the thing that brings food into the sort of uh, manipulated experience for a long time, and they are excited for us to try to figure out how to get there. Like mm-hmm. so. Well. We are going to take a quick break and try and figure out how we are going to fund the next decade at Heritage Radio Network. We've been on the air since 2009, and we rely entirely on the generosity of our members who are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one to help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Stay with us. My name is Paul Willis. I'm a fifth-generation hog farmer, and I owned and operated the Willis Free Range Pig Farm for over 41 years. I've dedicated my life to revitalizing sustainable hog farming methods in the Midwest and moving farms away from the common industrial practices. In 1998, I established the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. I'm proud to say Nyman Ranch has since grown into a network of over 740 independent family farmers and ranchers today. At Nyman Ranch, our animals are raised with care. We believe that the quality of an animal's life impacts the quality of the meat. Our high standards were developed with the help of animal welfare expert, Dr. Temple Grandin, and are among the strictest in the industry. All of our animals live outdoors or in deeply bedded pens, and they're never given antibiotics or added hormones ever, and are only fed a high-quality, 100% vegetarian diet. Whether they're raising hogs, cattle, or lamb, Nyman Ranch farmers and ranchers share our commitment to traditional farming, raising livestock in the way our parents and grandparents did, and supporting our rural communities. We share a common belief that humane and sustainable methods produce the best possible flavor. Learn more about our work at Nyman Ranch at nymanranch.com. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. And today, we have an amazing group in the studio. They have together collaborated on what I think is the very first virtual and augmented reality art and dining experience. What makes this experience different is that while you are having the multimedia VR augmented reality experience, you are actually eating food at the same time, which is what makes it very special. It is a collaborative effort between an Italian artist, Matteo Castiglioni, a chef, Chitan Pandaya, and the James Beard Foundation. Uh, actually, the experience was discovered by Mitchell Davis, who's also a former Heritage Radio host, if anybody's looking for some podcasts to listen to. His show is called Taste Matters. It's in the archives and on iTunes still. Currently... Uh, the dinner is called Arrow Banquets RMX Remix. It is on the fourth floor of the James Beard Foundation. It will be happening until December 29th, 2019. Uh, it is an hour-long experience for four people at one time um, from, I think, 1 in the afternoon to 6 p.m. at night. So it's, it's a very, very limited engagement. If you are interested in booking tickets and finding out more about it, 
go to jamesbeard.org and um, you can find the information there. If you are interested in finding out more about Chitan's Indian restaurants, which have nothing to do with augmented virtual reality, they are very, very low-tech, handcrafted Indian cuisine. You can find him at adanyc.com and also at rahinyc.com. You don't have you have a website, but you don't really have a space for people to come and visit you, except the. Uh, um, they're very welcome to come see my studio. <laughs> <laughs> I have a studio in uh, Midtown at the Elizabeth Foundation for the Arts. Um, so one of the things that's interesting about this experience is that people are eating while they're having the experience, and I haven't had the opportunity to experience the experience yet, but I watched other people having the experience at the foundation. It's really fascinating to watch the coordination and the performance of it along with people's reactions. You had to actually hack some technology and create some serviceware pieces to put the food on for people to be able to interact with it so that the VR and AR could recognize it in that world. How did you do that and is that possibly why there has not been more actual food consumption during the virtual experiences well, well I mean yeah um, I mean we hacked some very simple hack actually we just really cut off half of a controller and we sort of uh, hack it into a series of cups and vessels that you can eat but I think the main um, probably the main reason why it hasn't been done before is because it's such a weird idea in the first place, uh, but also because the technology, I mean, the consumer accessible technology really came to this place just just maybe like two, three years ago. So it's really the technology. Uh, it hasn't been, you know, it was not here yet, and um, and, it, and it was really hard to create those experiences and really hard to, um, to track objects in... S such a way so that it was actually working for what we are trying to do and now but also maybe another another reason why is that the content and the words you know the world that I'm sort of creating in these experiences are very much based on the experience that the guests have when they actually consume food so it's uh, very much the idea of um, <coughs> of uh, eating uh, colors and uh, eating shapes and really how to how we can v v visualize um, taste and this is maybe like a thing that has been explored through 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 the ages by artists but maybe this is the first time that it's been explored with VR. So for chefs, food has a visual component to it for sure. But when you visualize taste and colors, is, was that a culinary challenge to think about? How, how do colors and shapes taste? Actually, uh, I think it was a challenge initially, but once we started working and once, you know, once we did two or three trials of the food, I basically understood what he was looking for and what the understanding was. Now the biggest challenge was to get all those multiple layers in one bite. So that's where the biggest challenge is and that's what we keep on working is how to create different textures, layers, flavors in one bite. So the spectrum is very small to deliver. 
Mm. When I have a nine-inch plate to deliver a food, I can do multiple things and play around with it. But this is like half an inch by half an inch. Mm-hmm. That's so at the, the same time that we're doing this, we are we are perfecting the hors d'oeuvre. We're putting every, we're putting every component of flavor and texture and taste in an hors d'oeuvre mm-hmm. yeah. in the real world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's that, and it was fun. It was fun, and uh, like uh, there was also a method where we uh, like I realized like. So when we used to do tastings before, it was it would be with the naked eye. Like they would taste it with naked eye and they would say, oh yeah, this is this. Like they just taste it and oh, it's simple, it's simple, it's not like this. And I couldn't understand. And then I said, you know what, let's try a new thing. Why don't you blindfold yourself? So then whenever we did the tasting, they would be blindfolded. And don't, then only they would eat the food. So now they were also confused what they are eating, they don't know. <laughs> because basically you are in a world and that's where the entire things started happening right right i realized that all the tasting needs to be in those way where you are actually a consumer <coughs> not looking at it and, and i have to say there's another component i think that's really interesting and important about this experience and that is it has to do with hospitality because this is a you know the ratio is one to one for diners to staff that are required to do this it's not an easy thing another reason probably another barrier to lots of people doing it right so you need servers you need a technician you need um, all the folks to make it happen but the other thing that you need from the individual diner is what i like to call a kind of inversion of power you have to give yourself over to this experience and we don't we don't like to do that Uh, an american restaurant is a place where the guest is always right where hospitality means i get everything i want i know what i'm doing if it's uh, if it's winter i want strawberries uh, you're going to get them for me you know so and as an organization we have been trying to invert that power relationship a little bit because we feel for lots of reasons we need to put a little bit more of a dialogue in that in that um in the relationship between diner and guest in a japanese kind of way so that chefs can make do the things they want to do both their art but also whether if they're interested in sustainability or they're trying to be seasonal or they're buying whole animals like everyone's just not going to get a, a chop all the time or tomatoes all the time and that kind of thing and that requires a kind of um a, a new power dynamic between the guest and diner and a new idea of hospitality what, one of the things I love about this experience is you don't know what's happening. You have to give yourself over. You put on a headset. Everything's manipulated. You're putting, I mean, you know you're eating delicious, safe food, although you don't until you have a bite, really, right? Um, uh, but you, you aren't in control. And that's, I think that's hard for a lot of people when it comes to food for very good reasons, but also hard for people when it comes to hospitality and expensive dinners and, and you know, what, what it means to to dine in a certain way. Um, and I think there's some real value in messing with that relationship also, not just the sensory experience, not just the sort of what is real and what isn't real, but also um, how we relate to the experience of eating um, so that we can put a little wedge in there and, and do some good things. It's an also interesting to note that you started off talking about the restaurant Ilbuli and the dining experience there, and that was a dining experience where you had to completely give over control to the house. Mm-hmm. Not just what you were eating, but when you were going to go and the menu that you were going to yep. have. That was a restaurant where they maint- maintained total control on the entire experience. People didn't even get menus. When you made the reservation, they decided what menu you were going to get, 
six months before you even yep. showed up. And people were fine with that. And they were been very a trend, at ease with that. At the highest level, there's been a trend toward that. I mean, it's funny. The Beer Foundation. Omakase, yeah, you've never had got to choose because we weren't really... 35 years ago, tasting menus were not that common in America. They were common in Europe and other places. But a tasting menu is basically that. You give yourself... You don't have the choice. You just say, feed me what's best or what you think I should eat. So people have... Are, have a expectation that they're having an experience that's being specifically curated and produced by an entity with a very, very strong point of view. People seem to be a little bit more flexible about that customer's mm-hmm. always right piece. Is it interesting that the the two primary collaborators are not American on this project, an Italian and an Indian? Uh, it might be interesting. I, it certainly, I think it certainly adds to the sensory um, excitement of the food because Indian food has so many complex layered flavors and and textures and even temperatures and certain things. And so some things that might seem completely foreign in one bite, are, I, I think there's at least a resonance in the tradition of Indian cooking that Chidan's drawing on that makes that um, not out of character, but unique for most of the diners who might be having it. And I think that definitely the fragrances and the aromas and the lingering flavors that hit you at different times, I think are are pretty key to the success of Chintun's food and Matia's vision um, and the sensory manipulation that happens because, you know, the chili comes at a different time or the fenugreek explodes. Like, you just have different things happening that you aren't anticipating and would be different if it were a hamburger that you were eating. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, not that a hamburger is a great and complex in its own way, but... Or maybe it's too recognizable to to have a suspended belief in the situation of you're having, you're tasting a color or a sound if it's a specific food or a flavor that you can really identify. Yep. Yeah, and also what is interesting, I think, is that uh, trust, as Mitchell was saying, is is very important in this kind of experience because it's very much about theater in a way, but you you enter a completely dark spa- uh, dark um, um, environment at first, and, and really you have, um, as a guest, you really don't have any expectation of what you can come up your way, so so having trust with, with the person that is really feeding you, and in this I think uh, being at the uh, at an institution like the James Beard actually helps a lot because, you know, it, it gives the experiment a sort of a sort of Credi- credibility that, that, that is very much needed sometimes. So you're almost at the end of the run of this installation. What is the next step? Do you have another well, version? Are you already ready with the, the evolution of what you want to see happen with it? Will well, there first be off, a spring we're hoping, one? We're hoping that it extends. <laughs> I mean, in order to um, mitigate everyone's anxiety about doing something so different at the Beard Foundation and also not knowing if there was going to be an audience, um, we put some pretty strict limits on it, but uh, you know the conversation this week will be: Can we extend it? What's the right time? Can we continue to make it work? There's there's no demand on the physical room right now, and they're all set and running. So, but uh, there's lots of ideas. You guys. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, there's it. a lot of ideas. You know, uh, for us, it's very much like a new language in a way. Like it's a platform to uh, really create new ways of dining, probably. And so we're super um, happy to invite chefs. For example, into into the project, we are thinking at the next season and how and what kind of uh, food artists we can actually work with, so that we can create new new experiences based on their menu and on their vision. So, and and, um, and of course, we 
we've been doing these experiences also in in art contexts like galleries and festivals. Uh, we hope to go, you know, to um, to festivals in springs, uh, in spring, and um, and of course we are always in talk, you know, with, uh, uh, with different art institutions to actually bring it there. So yeah, it's very much like a super exciting new new way of experiencing food. That it that it's that it that in my personal view, I'm very very excited to collaborate with new chefs, for example, and really create new um, new menu because um, every. Every chef, of course, can can bring uh, their own uh, style, their own visions, and their own uh, uh, approach. Um, and so the idea here is very to open it up in a way and to really bring new artists into the mix. Is there anything that surprised anybody about the public's reaction to it thus far? Yeah, I mean, we had the craziest reaction. We had kids who actually stood up the chairs and ran uh, into walls. <laughs> we had like uh, people. Uh, screaming to each other you know and um, what is interesting is that because the experience is only actually for um, for a limited group uh, actually only for four people uh, the the social dynamics really change a lot uh, based on the fact if they know each other if they know each other um, what is interesting also is that um, um, even though you are in your world in a way you are really in, in VR what happens is the because the space is so intimate, you you talk to the other persons and you really have a social experience very much that if that oftentimes in VR is really missing, right? Because VR is still very much about uh, uh, individual individual um, experiences. But here, we our focus is really to create a sort of safe space for people to have social um, interactions. There's, there's a very funny thing we have observed that uh, because it's a group of four people that come and sit, so if actually four people know each other, there's humongous amount of chatting and activity which happen. But if it's like group of two people knowing each other, they're very quiet. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like the communal table syndrome, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I, and it's so yeah. funny, it's so funny that and and you know I, I and then obviously when they remove it they start talking and everything but when when they're in the VR world it's if it's a group of two couples they like the interaction is very low they themselves don't move around much or active but if it's four people like they go crazy like <laughs> then we know like Everybody has to be handled in a way. So anyone listening should book with three friends. But hurry to book online because there aren't very many seats left. Yeah. I mm -hmm. took a quick look to see. And it's really, I mean, it is a very limited engagement. Yeah. Yeah. Mitchell, is but this the beginning of the um, digital division for the James Beard Foundation? <laughs> I don't know if it's the digital division, but I do love the idea of us helping to bring some food and art collaborations to life. Um, I think it's a a great role for us to play. We have partnerships with other institutions, which usually, like Jazz at Lincoln Center, or even uh, MoMA with their design division, and they have a series of interesting talks. But we're usually there, uh, not so much as collaborators, but as sort of the cultural food representatives. And so the idea that, that we could help facilitate um, these sorts of collaborations between chefs who are interested in thinking about food in different ways and artists who are thinking about using uh, food as a medium in different ways I think is a very exciting
development for the Baird Foundation. Um, so I hope I hope there's more to come, but I think there's a lot more for us to explore in this particular iteration. In fact, we've already had a few chefs reach out who want, we have to figure out how to make it possible to have guest chefs, not mm-hmm. just at the Beard House, but at Aero Banquets, so that um, it's not easy, as, as you've heard a little bit. It's, you have to figure out something, so it's not like you just come and cook your menu and suddenly have an experience, but I think that would be a great next phase of this project, too. Really fascinating. Well, I'm going to be looking forward to sneaking in before December 29th, and they have the final installation for this year. Again, if you are interested in checking it out, go online to jamesbeard.org. All the information is there. If you are interested in listening to more Tech Bites, come back and see us Tuesday evenings at 6.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find us online at heritageradionetwork.org. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and your favorite podcasting platform. If you have a great idea for a show or you want to tell us what you think about this one, get in touch with us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We are very interactive. We would love to hear from you. I want to thank my guests for coming out to Roberta's today to talk about their project. It's so exciting. Please come back when you have news about the next ones, the next iteration. The Is this 2.0? Is this 1.0? What version this is, is this? 1.999. <laughs> 1.999. We'll come back when it's 2, 2.1. Mitchell, always a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Returning to the uh, shipping container radio studio. It's fun to be here. Thanks for listening. Come back and listen next week. I'm Jennifer Leitzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Sherry Bayer the host of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm thrilled to let you know about HOST, Summit Plus Social, a new conference for and about the hospitality industry, taking place Monday, January 27th, 2020, at the William Vale in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York City. Based on my All in the Industry show, HOST, which stands for Hospitality Operations, Services, and Technology, will bring behind-the-scenes talent in hospitality to the forefront, in a live format, featuring guests from some of my most popular episodes, including Junie Porrent, Rita Jamey, Crystal Mobiani, JJ Johnson, and Jeff Gordonier. Our event will include intimate panels, one-on-one interviews, industry news discussions, curated lunch conversations, and more. Plus, of course, we will have outstanding food and drink throughout the day, including an energizing closing reception. For more information and tickets, please go to allintheindustry.com. And also, please follow us at All Industry on Instagram and Twitter. I hope you will join us in celebrating our dynamic hospitality industry. 
Many thanks.